Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell, lead pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. We're in a series from the book of Acts that we've entitled Power Today, and today we come to Acts chapter 14 as we're covering that section of Acts that deals with the first missionary tour of Paul and Barnabas, and we've got a little map here, so it shows uh, they're going on a 1,200-mile journey outside of the time they're in the boat. They're on foot, so a little more than half of it they're walking. They go from Antioch to Seleucia, where they get a ship that takes them over to Salamis on Cyprus. They walk over to Paphos. Then they take a ship over to Perga. They go all the way up to Antioch, and we're going to read today of them making the 85-mile journey down to Iconium, then another 30-mile journey down to Lystra, all of that on foot. It's a very, very interesting passage. The title of the message is Supernatural Faith to be Healed. You know, as we read the testimonies of people, at times people will say this. They'll write, they gave a word of knowledge, and I just knew that it was for me and God was going to heal me. Or they'll write, I was sick, and I just knew if I got to church, I would be healed. Kind of like that grandma grabbing her 14-year-old daughter and saying, hey, let's go. We're going to James River. How did she know? How, how, what is it that happens in somebody's heart? Where does that kind of certainty come from? Have you ever wondered what's going on there and how that happens? And again, that's not the only way a person can be healed, but when somebody has that, invariably there is healing. We're going to learn a little more about that as we look at this passage in Acts chapter 14 because it involves a man with supernatural faith. As we look at the first 10 verses of chapter 14, I want you to notice two things in particular. First of all, I want you to notice the supernatural boldness of Paul and Barnabas. The fact of the matter is, everybody needs the gospel. The gospel is for everyone, everywhere, all the time. But the fact of the matter is, not everyone wants to hear the gospel. And that's why you and I need supernatural boldness so we can declare the gospel to people. What I love about Acts chapter 14 and the first 10 verses, it is literally a living illustration of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, which is really the theme verse for all the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus speaking, saying to his disciples before he ascends into heaven, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Power, that's miraculous power, supernatural power. You're going to have supernatural power that is going to allow you, that is going to propel you to be my witnesses. And that word witness, an interesting word, it's martus in the Greek. We get our word martyr from it. 
You'll have such bold, supernatural power. You won't care what people think. You won't care what people do. You won't care if somebody takes your life. You will be so bold. You will be so brave. You will be so courageous that you would talk to anyone, anywhere, anytime, no matter what the cost, because you have a supernatural power from the Holy Spirit. The good news is for us, we don't live in a country where people take your life for preaching the gospel. The bad news is we're not doing very good at preaching the gospel. The Christianity is not growing in North America outside of immigration as primarily Latinos are coming in, evangelical Latinos, and it is bolstering the numbers of Christians in the U.S., but among those already living here, it is not growing, and the reason why is because people aren't sharing Christ. And the reason why they're not sharing Christ is because they need power. There is a power that will make a person bold. There is a power that will cause an extrovert to be bold and an introvert to be bold. There is a power that will take a shy person and cause them to say words with an anointing of the Holy Spirit and take a brash person and cause them to say words with the grace of the Holy Spirit. There is a power. And that's why every one of us needs to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't just send out the command to share the gospel. He gave us the power to do it. The problem is a lot of people won't do it because people have a fear of men, afraid of what people will say, afraid of what people will think, afraid of what people will do or not do, afraid that people will not be interested. When the fact of the matter is our job is not to determine the level of interest. Our job is to communicate the message with power. Because you and I, we look on the outside. The Bible says man looks on the outside. God looks at the heart. You don't know who will receive the gospel and who won't. In fact, I would suggest to you oftentimes the person who seems the least interested is actually under the greatest conviction. The person who seems to, to not want anything to do with it is actually wrestling already, and God has something he wants to do in them and through them, and the enemy is fighting it. And you and I need power. I love this. You watch it. Paul and Barnabas had power. Look at it, Acts chapter 13, verse 49. The word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. Here's something that's very interesting. When the power of God is on you, it's not only on you as you witness, but it's on your words after you've witnessed. That the, the words go farther than your witness. That the words stay longer than the sound of your voice. That the words have a power, a weight of the Spirit. This is what's happening. The word spreads. It grows. They're, they have power as they speak it, and power moves it out into the area. But the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. The idea is they threw them out of the region. They used force. They said, you are so out of here. So they expelled them. So they shook the dust from their feet in protest 
against them. And remember, Jesus said that. He said, if a, if a town won't receive you, then just wipe the dust off. And what it is, is it's a witness against them on the day of judgment. So what they do is they do that. And then they went to Iconium. So they make the 85-mile journey to Iconium. And as they go, what I find so interesting is they're not saying, man, that place didn't like us. What if the next place doesn't like us? And you don't have Barnabas saying to Paul, Paul, you know what? Maybe we should just go back to Antioch because we were teachers. It was easier. People accepted it. There was a move of God there. Right now, nobody seems to be that interested. We're, we're, we're causing a lot of dissension. You know, Paul, we could get ourselves killed if we keep doing this. No, here's what they're thinking. The disciples were filled with joy. They were like, isn't this like the best thing in the whole world? Isn't this like, I mean, they're like high-fiving one another saying, that was so awesome. They're filled with joy and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And the result is they're not only bold, they're happy. You know, a lot of Christians aren't very happy because they're not full of the Spirit. A lot of Christians aren't very bold because they're not full of the Spirit. And I think we have to be careful. There's a lot of people who claim to be filled with the Spirit because they speak in tongues, but they have a fear of men, so they don't have the boldness Jesus is talking about. And if you make the infilling of the Holy Spirit about tongues instead of about power, what you've done is essentially, it'd be like making baptism about being wet. Baptism, getting wet, is a byproduct of baptism. It's not what baptism is about. The baptism in the Holy Spirit a prayer language is a byproduct of it. It's not what it's about. It's about power. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So, chapter 14, verse 1. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the synagogue. Why are they going to the synagogue? We said because the gospel is to the Jew first. Paul says that in Romans chapter 1. As well, when they go into an area, they can meet people who are initially going to be more accepting of them. It's also going to give them an opportunity to meet God-fearing Gentiles, non-Jewish people who are interested in the God of, of the Jewish people. And that's going to open the door to a larger audience outside the synagogue within the city. So this is Paul's pattern virtually wherever he goes. And there they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. They could have said, you know, people in Galatia aren't very interested. That whole region that we saw on the map is Galatia. So your, your book of your Bible, a book in the Bible, the Galatians, that's that area. They could have said, you know, people in Galatia, they're just not interested. They're not into it. And so we're wasting our time. We should go back. But no, they kept going forward. They were bold. And watch what happens. A great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds. A very, very interesting word in the original. It carries the idea of, of planting evil in their minds. So what you have here is a supernatural battle that is always present when we're sharing Christ. That you always have the enemy trying to poison, battling supernaturally against people receiving the gospel. Whenever you and I are sharing the gospel, there's a spiritual battle. It explains why some people respond the way they do. 
because there's a battle and the enemy's trying to poison their minds, change their thinking. Sharing Christ is a spiritual battle. That's why we need spiritual power. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit to be bold enough to do it. I, I read that and I think about 2 Corinthians 4.4 where Paul writes, the God of this age has blinded, and the root word for that word blinded is smoke. The idea is he's put up a smoke screen. He's, he's made it very smoky so they can't see the truth, in this case, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What would you do if, if you're trying to witness and somebody's poisoning the mind of the person or the people you're trying to talk to? Would you say, oh, well? Would you say, well, I'm going to find an easier audience? Listen, if we're going to reach people for Christ in our generation, if we're going to reach uh, unbelievers and see a great awakening in this country, it's not going to happen with you and I just staying inside these four walls. What's happened? The miracles that we've seen, the healing that we've seen. I hope you write it down because really it's not just designed for you and I to clap in these four walls and go home. If it stays in this room, it will die in this room. It's designed to encourage your heart, to build your faith, to say there is a God. He is alive. He is at work. And you take that list and you go out and you go to your neighbors and you go to your friends and you go to your coworkers and you go to your family and you say, hey, guess what? God did this week. And then you use that as a springboard to say, if you don't know Jesus is your Savior or you're away from him and you'll have an idea of where they're at, you need to get right with God because the God is working powerfully and our services wants to work powerfully in your life. That's how revival, that's how a great awakening happens. Instead, what's happened to a lot of Christians is we've been told you can't say anything in school. We've been told we bought into the lie that it's not polite to talk about religion with other people, which is not true. It's the most impolite, unkind thing you could do to know somebody's going to hell and to say nothing about it to them. We bought into the lie that politicians say all the time that faith is personal and should not be discussed in public. What in the world? When a person has a person of faith, it influences how they think. It influences what they say. It influences what they do. It's not a private thing. It's a very public thing. Everybody can see it. But honestly, some of you have been intimidated by a neighbor. You've been intimidated by a supervisor or a boss at work. You've been shamed by coworkers. And in many cases, it's not what people have said to you. It's just that you lack boldness. And the result is people are dying around us and going to an eternal hell. And Jesus has sent us to a world that desperately needs to hear his message and he didn't just command us to go. He empowered us in our going. Watch this, verse 3, Acts 14. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly. How long? Uh, many scholars believe several months. Speaking boldly 
for the Lord. Now watch this. When you talk boldly, you can, when you read the book of Acts, here is the, the common conclusion. You know, there's some of you, and you're like, man, I'd like, to, I'd like to see God do miracles, you know, through me. I'd like to be able to, to see some of these things happen through me. That is a godly and a good desire. Can I just say that? You're not wrong to have that desire. But you're fooling yourself if you think that's going to happen and you're not willing to share Christ with anybody. If you're only going to do it in the safety of the church, then that's a immature Christianity and, and it, will not, it will not carry you very far. If you're only willing to pray for people in the church, and, and praise God that you're willing to pray for people in the church, but the idea is we see what God does when we pray in the church so that it builds our faith so we can go out of the church and pray. Are you with me on this? I'm just simply saying Jesus, the Great Commission is not a great suggestion. It's not Jesus saying, you know, I've got an idea, and if you feel like it, it'd be great if you did. No, the Great Commission is go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go. Not if you're a preacher. Go. I, I, listen, I'm not trying to make any mad, but anybody mad, but if I make you mad, then, you know, my response is pretty much if the shoe fits, wear it. I mean, you know, if you're mad, what are you mad about? This is basic. This is Christianity 101. I mean, if you haven't gotten to that level, then I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm just telling you, this is the Bible. And the Bible isn't, God doesn't give us this so we can sit around and be comfortable. He gives us this so that we'll understand he has a call on your life. You have a call on your life to share Christ. And he wants to empower you to do it. And the, and the most wonderful thing that can happen is to lead somebody to Jesus. And he wants to empower you. And, and here's the beautiful thing. When you go out and do that, and you're talking about Christ, and you're talking about miracles, and then somebody says, well, I know so-and-so, and they're sick. Then what you do is you say, where are they at? Let's go pray. And then watch the Lord confirm the message of his grace by enabling you to do miraculous signs and wonders. See, that's, that's living life at the deep end of the pool, right? That's, that's when you're almost in over your head, and that's when you see God show up time and time again. And I'm simply suggesting to you that what we read in Acts and what we see here is what God wants for every single one of us to experience in our life. And the result is many came to faith. Look at it in verse 4. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. So, I mean, it's a, it's a division of the city. And, and Paul is, and Barnabas have reached a bunch of people. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and to stone them. You say, what's that? Stoning is, was something that was common in that part of the world, uh, not just in Israel, but throughout um, Asia and even into parts of Europe. What you do is the community, when they're upset at you, uh, got a judgment against you, they take you out to a, to a place where there was a sharp drop-off, usually about eight to 10 feet. They'd push you off, and then people would be standing there with boulders to throw them on your head and kill you. 
And oftentimes their aim wasn't very good, and so they hit your ribs and broke your ribs, and they hit your legs and broke. I mean, you could have a pretty big rock throwing it down on people who are helpless, and the idea is that it would be a way to get rid of people. And so usually it was mob violence. It happened quickly. It happened often without warning. So in this case, they know about it. But we're going to watch in a few verses, not today, but next time, we're going to see Paul, and he is stoned. And God works a miracle. It's a great story. But they found out about it, and they fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they, are you ready for this? Continued to preach the good news. When the Spirit of God comes upon you and he gives you that boldness, with the boldness comes a joy. And with the boldness and the joy, there come signs and wonders. And you just simply are convinced of the reality of God. And you see the life change in people. And you're like, this is so worth it. See, when a person's full of the Spirit, then you understand that, it, that the Lord is worth everything he ever asks you to do. And you're happy to do it because he empowers you to do it. Amen? So they make the journey, the 30-mile journey. We give the map here. They go from Iconium, where they're in... They've made people mad. Now they've gone to Lystra, and that's where we pick it up in Acts chapter 14 and verse 8. And what I want you to notice here is the supernatural power of God in healing. So we've seen the supernatural boldness of Paul and Barnabas. But when you come to Acts chapter 14 and verse 8, it's a very unusual story, and it has to do with supernatural power and supernatural faith. Look at it in verse 8. In Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. It's a very interesting verse. Luke, Luke doesn't cover every healing Paul does. It's not his intent. His intent is the spread of the gospel because that's the purpose of the healings. 22 times, Luke draws a correlation between miracles happen, people believe. Miracles happen, people believe. So here, what you have is in Lystra, there was a man and... Luke gives us three phrases about this man's condition. He's crippled in his feet, he's lame from birth, and he's never walked. What Luke wants us to understand is there is no way in the natural this guy's ever going to walk. It's not like he had a sprained big toe. It's not like he had a, a twisted ankle. This guy from birth has been unable to walk and he's been crippled. His feet are messed up. Something is wrong physiologically in his feet, physically. He's in a desperate situation and watch, he listened to Paul as Paul was speaking. It's interesting in verse nine that it's in the imperfect tense, so it reads like this. He continually listened to Paul as he was speaking. In other words, as Paul was talking, he was not surfing the internet on his iPhone. He wasn't checking the scores on the 11 o'clock game or the 12 o'clock game. He's not thinking about lunch and looking at his watch and thinking, how much longer before I get out of here? He was completely dialed in just like you are. He was listening intently. And as he's listening to Paul speak, something is happening in his heart that is changing him. 
Listen, this is the power of, of the word of God as it is preached and as it is taught. It's powerful and it changes you even as you're hearing it. It's changing your mind. Your mind's being renewed. It's lifting your heart. It's giving you a new perspective. It's giving you wisdom. The Bible says we're transformed through the living and enduring word of God. James says it's like a mirror. When we read it, when we hear it, it's like we see ourselves and we do something about what we see. That's the power of the word of God. Hebrews says it cuts right down to the, to the, the inner core of our being. So something is happening to this man. Not only that, the Bible says, Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So a lot of people misunderstand that. They think, well, faith comes from hearing the word of God. That's not what it says. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing comes from the word of God. So what happens is, as you're hearing the word of God, it's opening your heart up to the voice of God, and God is speaking to you, and most people in this room are having that happen anytime the word of God is preached. So there's something that is said, and it convicts you. There's something that is said, it makes you think about something. Oftentimes, I mean, one of the one of the great mysteries of preaching is there's not only on the part of the, the preacher a miracle of speaking, but on the part of the listener, a miracle of hearing. You say, what do you mean? I stand in the hallway, people go by, they say, man, you, today your message really touched me. You said, and then they tell me what I said, and I'm thinking, I never said that. But I'm not bothered by it because the Spirit of God is taking what I said and is, is positioning it and re reapplying it to their heart, to their situation in a way that is opening them up to the Spirit of God to bring about life change. That's the power of, of hearing the Word of God any time that it's preached. In this man's case, what's happening is his life is being changed. Faith is filling his heart. We don't know what Paul was saying. I mean, we assume from the setting he is not in the synagogue because of the way people respond to the miracle. So maybe he's doing something like Peter did at Cornelius's house, the Roman centurion, when Peter said this, Acts 10, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So he's hearing about Jesus. He's hearing that Jesus is a healer. And as Paul is talking, the man's faith is growing. And here's Paul as a preacher. What happens is it's always interesting. But, you know, as, as you're talking, you're watching people. In part, you're watching them to see, are they, are they picking up what I'm throwing down? I mean, are, they, is, are, we, are we, all, we all on the same page? The other part is you're taking, you're taking attendance. So it's very nice to see Manish and Kathy right on the front row. Good to see you guys. I don't remember seeing you there last week. Uh, we'll talk about it after service. But... Uh, <laughs> You know, it's that kind of thing. You're taking, you're taking attendance. You're kind of watching where people are at, right? So Paul, he's watching. And as he watches, he looks at the man and he says, God is doing something in that guy's life. Look at it. Verse 9. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed. Paul could look at him and say, something profound has happened in that man. That man believes, as I've talked about the miracles we've been seeing at Pisidian Antioch and the miracles that I've seen in my ministry, that man believes he's next. Amen. 
It's very interesting. Paul looked directly at him. He had the faith to be healed. That word healed is the Greek word sozo. And I want to just talk about it for a moment because I think it will help build your faith for healing. That word is used a hundred times, over a hundred times in the Greek New Testament. It's translated 50 times as saved, 36 times as save, one time each as saving and saves, and 17 times it has to do with healing. He saw he had faith to be saved. The word sozo can mean saved, delivered, as in from an evil spirit, or healed. And you see it used all those ways in the New Testament. Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had the faith to be delivered. Paul looked at him and saw that he had the faith to be healed. Paul looked at him and saw that he had the faith to be saved. You say, why are you taking time with this? Because it's very, very important for us to settle in our hearts something that I don't think most believers have really thought through deeply enough to come to a place of settled conviction. In other words, it's something that you say, that's non-negotiable. It's true, 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 true. You say, what's that? That within the atonement, within what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us, is not only the forgiveness of our sins, but the healing of our bodies. Isaiah 53, verse 4, surely he took up our infirmities. That word infirmities that's used in the Hebrew is he took up our disease. He took up our sickness. He took up our anxiety. Jesus bore it on the cross. Not only... I mean, all of that is a part of sin, if you will. Every bit of our sin, sinfulness laid on him, but it included the sickness that is a result of sin. The anxiety that comes from the sinful nature. The disease that's a part of living on, on a, an, a planet that is under the, the weight of the curse of sin that will someday be redeemed. And he carried our sorrows. The word there, pain or affliction. He carried your pain. You're in pain today physically. He carried it. You're afflicted by some kind of disease and maybe it has spiritual roots. He carried it. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, afflicted. In other words, you know, Isaiah is saying we looked at him and said it's his own fault he's on the cross. When in fact, he was doing the ultimate work for humanity, for you and I. Dying for disease and dying for sin. But he was pierced for our transgressions. There's our sinfulness. He was crushed for our iniquities. There's our evil. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. God punished him for our sin. And he bore our sin and the effect of our sin. And by his wounds, we are healed. He died for your healing. You say, well, John, you know, I mean, that's Old Testament, and you're reading a lot into that. And 
I'm just not sure. Well, Matthew chapter 8. Jesus, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with the word, and he healed all the sick. What's that about? This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And if you look in your Bible, it's Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. He heals people. You say, well, but that was Jesus' ministry, and that was Jesus doing it personally, okay? Second, 1 Peter chapter 2. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. All that to say that healing is a part of his atoning work. You'll see this same kind of thing, and I believe a supernatural faith in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 9, the woman with the issue of blood, she said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. And the word there is sozo, I'll be saved. I'll be made whole. I'll be healed. How does she know that in that moment, supernatural faith? She says, I know. We read on. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith, some versions say, has made you whole. In other words, the woman not only got a healing, she got salvation. Again, your faith has healed you. It's sozo. And the woman was healed, sozo again, saved, healed, made whole from that moment forward. In James chapter 5, we could look at other gospels, verses, but for the sake of time, we'll go to James 5. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will sozo the one who's sick. It will heal them. It will save them. It will make them whole. It will deliver them. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe that when you put your faith in him, you are saved from your sins? You are forgiven eternally from your sins. Do you believe when he died, he died for your healing? For some, you're having to pause and think about that. And the reason why is because you've never been taught that, though it is clearly in the Bible, and you can't believe what you don't know, and you don't know it if you haven't been taught it. All I'm saying is, it's a part of what he did when he saved us. Healing is as much a part of the atonement as is salvation from sins. And the church understood that for centuries after the apostles and then moved away. And that's a whole other story. Paul looks at this man back to Acts 14 and verse 9 and sees that he had faith to be healed, to be sozoed. He had supernatural faith. 
While some in the crowd might have been saying, I don't know if I believe what Paul is telling me about this Jesus or not. This man not only believed it in his mind, but in his heart, it became such a reality that it became a certainty. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Hebrews 11.1. One. Now let me, let me just say this. That doesn't mean you have to have that kind of absolute certainty in order to be healed. People are healed all the time without that. But sometimes that is what happens in a person's heart as they hear the word of God. How did he know that? How, how does this man have that certainty? The Holy Spirit put it in his heart. It's called the gift of faith, the gift of supernatural faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it lists the gifts of the Spirit. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there's given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. You say, that's what, what's that? That's where like somebody has like a major problem, and they're like, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know where to start solving it. It's just, I don't, I don't know. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God comes on you, and you have a wisdom. You don't even know how you can give them the answer, but you have the answer, and you know it. You're able to say, da-da-da-da-da-da, and it's like, whoa. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, word of knowledge. That's what we've had in, in great frequency here in the church, words of knowledge, the 14-year-old girl coming down from Illinois, and there's a word of knowledge, she's going to be healed, and, and she is, in fact, healed. To another, faith by the same Spirit. This is supernatural faith, where God bursts it in you, and all of a sudden, you just know that you know that you know that you know, and you don't know how you know. You only know that you know. That's what this man had. Verse 9, Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had the faith to be healed and called out, Stand up on your feet. And the man who had never stood... The man who had never taken a step, the man who had never walked, Paul says, stand up on your feet. Watch what happens. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. I mean, do you realize how long it takes a toddler to learn to just stand? You know, they're crawling around, and then eventually they find a end table or coffee table or the sofa, and they pull themselves up, and they kind of stand and feel really proud of themselves, only to go boom. You know, they fall down, and they're going to do that many times to learn the balance, to teach their brain how to balance their body. And then they're going to, they're going to, you're going to be there like this, come on, come on, and they're going to hang on, and they're going to eventually turn like that, and they're going to learn to take a step, and then they're going to fall, right? This man goes through none of that. Instantly, everything necessary physiologically, 
tendons, ligaments, joints, probably his feet messed up, bones straightened, but at the same time, his brain, his balance, the motor skills, the coordination, all of it instantly comes, and he jumps on his feet, and he begins to walk, and when the crowd saw it, watch this, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, the gods have come down in human form. You say, what's that? They said only God could do this. Because they don't yet know the true God. All they know are their own gods. They say, man, only deity, only something or someone divine could do that. And that's what God does.